Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm so grateful you are here this week. I am actually recording this on Mother's Day. So it is Sunday, May 9th, and this episode will drop on Wednesday. So if you're listening to this, I hope you had a good Mother's Day. I have enjoyed my Mother's Day so far. I was spoiled with breakfast in bed and some roses and an awesome homemade card for my daughter. So I'm super excited. But, you know, I know Mother's Day can be a lot for different people. So I saw this Instagram post and I wanted to acknowledge the moms out there for those that are longing to be mothers, to those who have lost their moms, to those who are mothers, to those who have lost a child, to those who are stepmoms or bonus moms, as one of my friends says, uh, to those moms who have adopted kids, to those who are estranged from their mothers, to birth mothers, to those who are motherly figures for others in their lives, to those who might not have had a mother, to those who are foster mothers, to those who are grieving, and to those who have chosen not to be mothers. I see you. I honor you. I celebrate you. And I'm sending everyone a lot of love on this Mother's Day. I know Mother's Day can be really joyful, but I also know it can be triggering for a lot of women out there and a lot of people out there. So I just want you to know I'm sending you lots of love today. I know it's a little late if you're listening to this on Wednesday, but I feel like it's never too late to send a little love. So thinking of you on this Mother's Day. And I know for me, and I've said this on the podcast before, one of the, well, the greatest job that I have had my entire career is being a mom. It has been the one that has given me the most fulfillment, the most pride, the most joy, and I truly love being a mom, which is so great for this week's episode because we are talking about happiness. For me, being a mom has brought me the most love and the most joy and the most happiness in my life. But I want to ask you a serious question. What do you do when you've achieved your goals in life, but you still don't feel happy for some reason? Well, my next guest, Rebecca Morrison, was a happily married mom. She was a lawyer, and she had a two-decade career in big law and finance. But she felt something was missing. And that feeling led her on a quest to figure out whether it was possible to be both successful and happy. And I know for me and a lot of the clients I coach, that is the ultimate question. Can I be successful and happy at the same time? Maybe do I have to choose a season to be successful and a season to be happy, or can they really live together in the same season? Well, now a happiness coach and author of The Happiness Recipe, a powerful guide to living what matters. Rebecca helps successful but unsatisfied high achievers find their happiness recipe so they can live happier and lead happier and build happier businesses and lives. 
So I'm not going to spend any more time on the intro because I'm going to go back to what matters most to me, and that's spending time with my kiddos. So I wish you all the best. Let's dive into the episode. But before we do, I want you to think about what is it that you need to be happy right now, and how can you choose that for yourself? We don't have to put happiness on the back burner when we're in the middle of a successful career. So let's dive into Becky's episode and let's listen to her great conversation about how we can do both and what that means to each of us. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. All right. Becky, I am so glad you're here today. Welcome, welcome. And I'm so excited you're here to share your story and talk about your book. Um, So thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Great, great. Well, I would love if you would just share with my listeners a little bit about yourself, um, your career history, and what you're doing now. Yeah, I mean, so in a nutshell, my career history goes something like this. I'm a lawyer who's now a happiness coach. (laughs) But I know you're looking for a little more than that. So I'll I'll give you a little more. Um, So I started my career uh, as a litigator. So um, in the trenches of of heavy heavy duty law practice for about four and a half years. During that time, I had my first child, my daughter, who's now 17, which led me to think about the kind of life that I really wanted to have and where my priorities really were. And so I made a shift from litigation to law firm admin, where I spent about a decade of time. And then from there, I went to entrepreneurial finance just to try something different, um, where I spent a handful of years and then started my own coaching and consulting business, um, which has evolved into being really focused on helping successful but unsatisfied high achievers find their happiness recipe. Mm, I love that. So I love what you said and what you shared about, you know, I had my daughter and it had me reevaluate things. You know, I know you talk about women having, or all of us having different seasons in our life. And, you know, it's so interesting because I work with women as well, who oftentimes the last time they really thought about intentionally thought about their career was when maybe they were in college or they yes. had some other pivotal moment in their life, like maybe having a child or maybe having a, a, a death in the family. I just interviewed someone whose husband had died when she was 23. So, wow. um, you know, and it, it all of a sudden has the shift or makes you rethink or maybe an illness. You know, I've, I've also interviewed women who have been really sick, who have thought about, well, what do I do now? And yep. so you, so you, I love that you said, you know, hey, I had this shift where I thought, thought, what am I going to be doing with my career? But so talk to us, what is a happiness coach? And, you know, you're talking about coaching successful, but unfulfilled um, people. Is it mostly women that you're coaching or? 
I actually have a mix of clients. I, my my focus is working with women, but the reality is there's people, regardless of gender, who fit the bill yep. and who are really looking to be more intentional about how they're living their life and how they're spending their time, energy, and resources. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about, um, you know, wh- what does a happiness coach do and what do you focus on in on? Yeah. I mean, so... I use the word happiness coach just to make clear that what I'm really about is trying to help people figure out um, and live in a way that maximizes their joy. And so that really isn't all that different from what an executive coach does or what a life coach does. It's just a more focused um, practice of coaching. So right now, the way I work with people is primarily one-on-one coaching. I'm about to launch some group group programs, all focused on getting really clear on what matters most to you, doing more of that and being able to do less of the rest, which is what I think the formula for maximum happiness is. Yeah. And I know you and I had a conversation before you have a book out called The Happiness Recipe, A Powerful Guide to Living What Matters. So I'm curious, you know, what prompted you to write the book and, you know, would love for you to also share some of the secrets and the and the formulas you share in the book. Sure. So what prompted me to write the book was that 2020 happened. <laughs> and let me explain. So I had been coaching um, when March 2020 rolled around for about eight months officially as a, a coach versus coaching by instinct my whole career and had plans to take a bunch of educational stuff out to people as a way of figuring out where I wanted to focus and what I wanted to be doing. And then March of 2020 happened and nobody was investing in that kind of stuff. And I got kind of at the same time an invitation in my email for a virtual writer's retreat and felt like the right thing to do. I thought, hey, this is a good opportunity to have a little structure And it's another way to do the same thing that I want to do, which is effectively capture my coaching creed. Like, what am I really about as a coach? What am I really here to do? And I knew at that point, my mission, my purpose was to spread joy. But how? What does that look like? Um, And so that's how the book was born. My uh, writer's retreat cohort will tell you that I showed up on the first day of the writer's retreat and said, I am not writing a book. <laughs> just so we're clear. Like I'm here to capture my ideas. I'm here and yes, I'll use this container of quote unquote writing a book to capture my ideas to write them down to really think things through, but I'm not going to publish anything. <laughs> and then <laughs> I ended up with a book that actually made sense to publish because it's chock full of really practical approaches that people can use to figure out how to live happier. And my goal was to leave the reader with a toolbox of things that they can use anytime they need to kind of reevaluate where they're at, how, what needs to change, you know, how do I want to move forward? This is a toolbox that could be with you for the rest of your life. So it's for people who are in the midst of a transition or people like who are, like many of us, really reevaluating their priorities right now. But it's also for people who just want to add to their personal development toolbox. No, that's incredible. Incredible. And I I love your story about, hey, I'm not going to write a book. And here you are a year later with a a great book. So would love for you just to share, you know, maybe um, maybe an example or a story of a client that you've helped kind of where they were and how they got to be, you know, where they are now through your coaching and maybe a couple of the tools that you used with them just as an example. 
Well, I'll talk about a client who I worked with. And I want to be careful because I'm very clear with my clients that we aren't going to talk about coaching outside of coaching. Right. So I want to be gentle in the way that I do this. But there's a client that I worked with as I was sort of transitioning from straight up executive coach into this specific happiness space who came with a real desire. They had just, I'll make, I'll say he had just earned a seat at the leadership table and wanted to up-level his leadership skills. And that's where we started. But what it really became about was figuring out who he was as a leader and a person. Mm-hmm figuring out what it was about the work he was doing that was meaningful to him, how it needed to integrate in his life as a whole, and then what to do about that, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? And it started with the typical story that I hear from a lot of, or have heard in the past from a lot of leaders. Well, you know, I'm here and I don't feel like I'm actually good enough. It's, you know, I feel like they're going to figure out that they made a mistake promoting me to this position. I'm younger than everybody else. And they're going to realize they got it wrong. Unless I can be like those leaders around me, I can be like Chris and John and Sarah and lead the way that they do. Um, So I just need you as a coach to help me figure out how to be like them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Yep. and I was like, how about we help you figure out how to be like you? Right. And that was the biggest part for me. And it was a huge realization. And it's the first piece that I talk about in my book, that happiness comes from being connected with self, being in tune with who we are, being comfortable that we are good enough inherently without anything else. If we never change another thing, we're already good enough today. And then really evaluating what is it that brings us joy? What is it that matters to us? Not what the world says should matter to us, but what actually matters to us. So from a tools perspective, it was a lot of work around that. Who are you? What are your positive attributes? What are your skills as a leader? What are your skills not as a leader? (laughs) What? Where do you need support as a leader? Because you can't be everything. Right. Um, And who around you on the team, either on your team sort of below you or horizontally on your peer team, has the skills that can fill in those gaps. And so moving through that led to this person getting a promotion, but more importantly, led to this person feeling comfortable in their own skin at work, Mm -hmm. which was a really big deal for their happiness. Yeah. And what were, the, you know, kind of what were the outcomes, not only for themselves? I mean, I, I I hear that, you know, they're feeling more comfortable in their own skin, more happy with themselves, you know, probably both at home and at work. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know what the effects were with that leader um, within the leadership team, you know, how he was, you know, kind of seen, you know, because what my experience has been is when people start to own their authentic selves and they build that confidence, all of a sudden they walk into a room and it feels different. And because they're showing up differently, people start to react to them differently. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to know what, you know, kind of what the feedback was from his other peers. So I think it, there were two things that I saw happen initially when he started showing up differently some people felt uncomfortable with that. Yeah. It can be they were like, wait a minute, what's, what's going on here? I thought you were X and now you're Y and I don't know quite what to do with that. And so that to me was an opportunity 
um, for him to just work on leaning more into who he was, who he wanted to be, and really making an authentic connection with that person who was feeling uncomfortable, explaining what was going on, explaining the work that he was doing, getting curious about the reaction, you know, doing a little bit of his own coaching with people on the leadership team to navigate through some of that. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, when you show up as yourself, as a leader in particular, it does, it gives the people around you permission to do the same. Mm-hmm. And that is so powerful. So I know from talking with him that the people on his team are happier. The people on his team have stepped forward in ways that he didn't expect because he made space for them to do that. So it's been a big deal. Yeah. And I love what you're sharing because. You know, the gift in us showing up authentically as ourselves is not only for ourselves, but it is for others. It has a ripple effect. Yes. And so the impact of that can be so substantial. So I love that you highlighted that. So you talk about, you know, the in the book, connecting to your authentic self. You know, what's important to you? What what drives you? And um, what else can you share about, you know, some of the tips or tricks in the book that would help my listeners um, connect to their their happiness. So let me start at a, a little bit of a higher level. We've already talked about it a little bit, but I want to just set the framework and I've said it already, right? I think that the recipe for maximum happiness is do more of what matters to you and less of the rest. And I've identified sort of three things that get in the way of making that happen. The first we've already talked about, it's authenticity. Are you really tuned into who you are and what matters to you? And then are you willing to share that with the world? Yeah. Let me fast forward to what I talk about as the the third gap. And in the book, I call it the physical energy gap. I just was talking with somebody recently who called it the effort gap. And I like that better. Um, But it's the idea of do your actions align with what actually matters to you? Are you actually spending as much as possible of your time, energy, and resources on those things that matter? And are you able to cut out the rest? And I jump ahead because we live in an action-based world where we go from knowing what we want to making it happen. Where we don't stop is in this middle gap. And I call it the emotional energy gap, but you could easily call it the mindset gap. Do you have the supportive beliefs and feelings that will allow you to actually take what you want and make it happen in a lasting way? Mm -hmm. And we don't stop and think about that. We don't stop and think about if I want to do more of what matters to me, and that means saying no to this person, what do I need to believe about myself in the situation? in order to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And so that's a powerful tool, even just to ask yourself that question. When there's an outcome that you want, that you're struggling to achieve, or something that you've been trying to do that you keep sort of trying and resetting because it doesn't go well, ask yourself, what would I need to believe about myself or the situation for this to happen? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I guarantee if you make a list, you're going to be writing it and you're going to get down that list and there's going to be something you write down and you're like, whoa, yeah, that I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. And that's where the work needs to happen because that belief needs to shift in order to support that action. Exactly. And so really just putting your finger on the pulse of that belief is the first step. No, so powerful, Becky. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, you bring up, you bring up a good point, right? Of helping people hone in on what they do best and then you know, kind of giving up the rest, right? Letting go of the rest. Yes. My question to you is, um, you know, you're a mom. I'm a mom. I would love to hear your thoughts or your tips for moms that are listening to this saying, we're in a global pandemic. Yes, we're 
we're nearing the end, hopefully, yes. you know, but schools are starting to open again, which is great. But there's a lot of, there are a lot of moms who are probably listening saying, okay, Becky, Natalie, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. In this global pandemic, and even outside of the global pandemic, I don't have the the privilege or the opportunity to just focus in on what I want. I have to do all of the rest of the stuff that is important. So what do you and, you know, at times as a mom, my happiness is being compromised because I am exhausted at the end of the day. I have so much on my plate. So what do you say to those listeners? So I have a lot to say, and that's why I just took a big deep breath because I'm trying to think about where I want to start. I mean, look, let me just first start by acknowledging that that feels really real. And I get it, right? It doesn't feel like there's choice, oftentimes, even when there is choice. I will say this with regard to the global pandemic. That is one area where I think it is so important to sort of land in the concept of this is a season. This is not the season we were in on March 1st, 2020. It is a new season that we didn't pick, we didn't seek out, but it's here for us. And if you haven't reset and rethought about what your priorities were for this season, you're already doing yourself a disservice. So I have a couple clients who are really sort of have come to me deep in the throes of what they've described as burnout. Mm-hmm. And it's because, and I'm not saying it's their fault, let me be really clear. But where they have landed is that part of the burnout source is a failure to adapt to the reality of the fact that this season is about survival. Right. The season is about making sure that they get through it, that their kids get through it, that their marriage gets through it, if that's what's important to them, and that they need to relax and give themselves grace on some other goals that prior to March 13th, 2020, that's when the lockdown started for us, were really important to them. Mm-hmm. their yep. priorities have changed and they just haven't named it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not readjusting expectations based on yep. the reality of what is right now. Yeah. And I, I think everyone moms included get to decide what their priority is and get to ask for the people around them to support them in that. Mm-hmm. And just because it feels hard or uncomfortable, to state that and to ask that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And so I'll tell you, I want to tell you two quick stories kind of in parallel. Yeah. The first I've shared and I share in my book and I've shared on other podcasts, but it's the one I call my bathtub moment. And I was at the time a litigator and I found myself one Tuesday evening around 830 sitting on the floor of the bathroom with the cordless phone clipped to the back of my pants and the toilet seat closed and notebooks resting on the toilet seat. And I've got papers all around me and I've got a toddler in the bath. And I'm trying to do two things at the same time. I'm trying to bathe my toddler and I'm trying to prepare an expert witness for their deposition or for trial. I'm not sure which, I don't remember. But I remember I can feel the tile, like I distinctly remember this moment. And I had two thoughts in very quick succession. The first thought was, I am a rock star. Like, this is the epitome of having it all. Like, I'm literally, look what I'm doing. Like, I'm, I'm doing everything at once and I'm doing it fine. Like, it's fine. I'm not giving anything 100%, but nobody's, nobody's, you know, the kid is safe and happy and bathed and the expert is getting what they need. Like, they're capable. I'm, I'm showing up. We've got this, right? 
And the next thought, which came literally less than a breath later was, I am exhausted Mm -hmm. and I cannot keep doing it all. Which then led to an inquiry of like, what actually matters to me? What do I actually enjoy? Oh, I like being a lawyer, but I like being a mom a lot more. And I'm spending a lot more time being a lawyer than I am being a mom. So that's one story. The second story happened sometime around 19, my guesstimate is 1987. Also a weeknight, also in the evening, my mom who was a corporate lawyer for a very large multinational, had come home and called a family meeting. And we sat down. I was an only child, so it's just me and my father and my mother sat down at the table. And at that family meeting, she told us that the leadership development program that she had been in, they had been working on identifying their core values and and priorities. And she needed to tell us that her top priority was her career. And my 13-year-old, because I was 13 or 12 at the time, my response was, duh, mm. I, already knew, I already knew that. Mm-hmm. And so I tell that story sometimes and people say, wow, didn't that hurt you? Like that your mom put, was putting work before you? It didn't hurt me. I knew I was loved. I knew I was cared for. I knew that I had a mother who was doing amazing things. What it did is it gave me and my father the freedom to support my mother in what mattered to her. And we did that because we cared about her. Mm. And because that career was meaningful to our family. So I offer that juxtaposition on purpose to say there's no wrong answer to what the priority is. The right answer is always to find the priority and then to claim it and allow the people in your life that are there to support you and seek the support you need if it's not there already where you can. Yeah. So I love your story. I love both of those stories because I think my particular story was the opposite. Right. And I, and I think the the reality is, is I love what you said is like, we need to own what is ours and claim it. But the important piece is like own what it is for us specifically. So mine was the opposite. My mom was a stay at home mom. Yep. I would say a stay at home, oh, a working at home mom now, because that's yes. probably the, the more appropriate term. Because my mom worked her tail off. Mm-hmm. And um, so she, you know, my dad worked and she took care of everything with the house. And when I got into my career right out of college, and into my 20s and then married with young children, I had these crazy expectations. And sometimes I still catch myself, even in the middle of the pandemic, (laughs) saying to myself, well, my mom had dinner on the table every night at 530 Mm -hmm. when my dad came home. My mom had curlers in her hair. I mean, it was literally beaver cleaver, right? Like my mom had curlers in her hair preparing for my dad to come home. And she served my dad dinner. She served us dinner. Oftentimes, my dad would get up and go to the lounge chair, and myself and my mom would clean up after dinner was over. But every single night, we had dinner together that was homemade, home cooked. And throughout my entire 30s and even into my 40s, I had this crazy expectation that I was supposed to be my mom. Mm-hmm. Even though I had a full-time job and I was traveling all over via planes, trains, and automobiles all over the country, yep. I always felt guilty about not providing a home-cooked meal for my family. 
And, you know, I really had to stop and examine that expectation for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, my goal or my value was not to be, I wanted a career. Mm -hmm. My mom, I, I don't think had that choice necessarily, but regardless, I had these unrealistic expectations of what I was putting on myself. Yep. I valued my career and I valued my family. What I needed to let go of, which was causing me so much internal angst, was this ridiculous, these ridiculous expectations that, that were completely outside of my control. And when I let go of that, and I actually um, hired a meal service to be delivered, <laughs> amazing. When I hired a house cleaner to come clean my house instead of, you know, my mom every Friday would clean the house. Amazing. Yep. And when I let go of this expectation that I had to do it all and be like mm -hmm. my mom, completely changed my life. Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head in the sense that I don't know that there's a kid out there that if you ask the question of, would you rather have a happy mom or a clean house or a happy mom and dinner on the table at five every day or a happy mom and insert thing here is going to say, I'd rather have the thing. Yep. People around us who care about us, they want us to be happy. Yep. And so if we can articulate to them what it is that will support our happiness most of the time they're going to be on board with that. Yeah. And I love that point so much, Becky, because I love having that conversation. So many times I think as moms mm -hmm. and as wives and as women, we're doing things at work that we think are going to make others happy on our teams. We're doing things at home that we think are going to make our families happy and that are important to them. But we're never asking the question. We're never actually saying, hey, do you want me home? Like, is it, you know, can we just have a family meal and can it be takeout or can it be a meal service or could it be whatever, a frozen yeah. pizza? Or yeah. is that important or is it important that we just sit down and have dinner together? Yeah. No matter and where it comes from. Right? That's right. And maybe it doesn't even need to be at dinner time. Maybe what they really want is connection with you. And so maybe if you, if that means a bedtime story or, you know, quiet time with your teen before bed or whatever it looks like, I mean, I think it's allowing people around us to be part of that dialogue. We make so many decisions based on the stories in our head. And that's, you know, a prime example. And the, and the rest, I will say this, just to follow on your story. I mean, the rest of my bathtub mo moment story goes something like, well, I can't, I can't let my career take a backseat because my work has to be my top priority, just like my mom's work was her top mm -hmm. priority. Mm -hmm. And Oh, by the way, when I called to tell her that I had decided to make a shift in career because I wanted to be, I wanted to work outside the mom home, outside the home, but wanted to be a mom first as much as possible. Do you know what her answer was? It wasn't, what are you doing? It was, I'm so proud of you for figuring out what matters to you. That's incredible. Right. And so like, let's give people in our lives the chance to show up for us. And it requires that conversation. Yeah, I love what you're sharing. I love I love it. And and you know, I really empower my listeners to take this as an opportunity to start having not only figuring out what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. But I really encourage you have those courageous conversations and start having that dialogue not only with yourself but others in in your life, your partner, your spouse, your kids. And talk about what's important. What makes us together happy? 
Yeah. You know, what do we each individually individually need, but also what do we all need to be happy? Um, and, and I think it's the conversation that we just, we really don't, we aren't having. Mm-mm. We aren't having the, we're, we're thinking that we need our kids to be in every sports team and every activity to make them happy. When in fact, maybe they just want some downtime and maybe they just want some free time to play some video games or, you know, mess around in the front yard or the backyard or go in the pool. And maybe they just need some downtime. And maybe what we think they need to be happy is completely different than what they actually need. And I love also having that conversation with our kids and asking them. Because I just don't think many parents are doing that. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes we underestimate what our kids can process and handle and even young kids, right? Like if it's a choice, like if it's, Hey, I have to get a project done for work so I can either cook you dinner or read you a bedtime story tonight. Which one do you want? Right. And let them pick. And then it doesn't feel like you're, you know, it feels like a, you're acknowledging that they want connection with you and that your actions have an impact on them. B, you're hearing their choice of what drives their happiness. And I think listening to the wants and needs of others and the people around us, whether it be in our families or in our teams, is so important. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, you know, as you have kind of been on this happiness journey with both yourself and your clients, how do you think this applies to women in leadership or apply or eyeing leadership? in organizations, how do you think that this potentially holds them back or has the opportunity to propel them forward? So I will speak personally first. I think one of the biggest things that has has been a barrier to my own development um, in, in the leadership sense, not so much now, you know, as a business owner, is actually not a fear of failure, but a fear of success and a fear of success requiring me to compromise my boundaries. Mm. And so I do think that is a theme that I also see with my clients as they think about growing to the next level. The question always comes up of what will I have to give up to take on this new opportunity? And am I willing to make the sacrifice? Mm -hmm. That is a fair and real question. But it starts from the assumption that you have to give something up. (laughs) It starts from the assumption that you can't architect it if you do it intentionally in a way that would meet all of your needs. And it goes back to what we were just saying about being willing to have the courageous conversations. So I told you I made a transition to law firm leadership where I, I describe it as I was a mom first. I was clear with my career or my, my bosses at the time that if I needed to be present for a kid or for a family member, I was going to be present. And that meant taking leave. And that meant um, saying no to some projects. But it was my priority and I knew it. And so saying no to the project wasn't a surprise to them and it wasn't a surprise to me and it didn't require a whole lot of thought, right? Um, That didn't slow down, in my estimation, my ability to be a leader. They just knew what I was willing to give, where the boundaries were, and they were willing to ask me, hey, is there any wiggle room in these spaces? And sometimes there was. As my kids grew up a little bit, right, the need for physical presence was different. Right. 
And so I was able to take on more. And so being open about what I was navigating, being open about where my priorities were and having leadership above me who respected that, which is a rarity to be frank in law firms, um, was really important. So powerful, Becky, that you you know, claimed what was important to you, just like you are advising your clients, right? And coaching your clients on. And um, I think, you know, the counter to boundaries is around expectations, setting Mm -hmm. clear expectations for ourselves, for the people in our lives, for our bosses, for our colleagues. And you did an amazing job of that. And it sounds like you had leadership that was also supportive of that. So what do you say to the woman who may be listening that says, wow, Becky was in this really amazing situation um, where she was supported. I don't have or I fear that if I were to set those expectations, if I were to say, look, every day I'm leaving at five because my son or daughter has a baseball game or a baseball practice starting at 530, that that's going to hinder me. That's going to hinder my promotion, you know, my ability to be promoted. It's going to hinder my ability to move forward, my ability to be taken seriously in this organization. What do you say to that that woman, that mom? I mean, the first thing I have to say is, unless you've tried it, you don't actually know. Yes. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the first thing I have to say. Are there organizations that are broken? Yes. Are there bad leaders? Yes. Might you miss out on some opportunities? Possibly. But really, then you have to think, If that opportunity wasn't going to be given to you unless you compromised your personal boundaries, is that an opportunity you wanted? And we get at this idea in our head that there's like, it's the whole FOMO, right? Like, if I don't get this, I'll never get it. I just don't believe that to be true anymore. Like for me, the path I'm on is the path I'm on. And if the next opportunity is meant to be the one for me, it will be the right one for me. If it's not the right one for me, then I need to let it go and wait for the right one. There's always another job. There's always another conference speaking chance. There's always another, I don't know, client. Like own your boundaries and see what it feels like to, you know, require that people meet you there. This notion that it can only be one or the other is just it's an old notion and I'm kind of over it. I love it. And no, I love it because you know what you're you you know what you're really talking about is what I hear you sharing is the this mindset shift. Yes. It's a mindset shift moving from a fear-based mindset to a possibility mm-hmm. of I will be provided for, everything will work out, anything's possible, the next job, the next client, the next position, it will all work out. Yep. Versus if I don't do this, you know, I'm going to be hindered. I'm never going to have these opportunities again. And it's really, it's a mindset shift is what it is. And I love what you said too. You know, if you have to compromise your own personal values, is that really where you want to be? Is that really the organization? Is that the leadership you want to be working for? There are so many progressive companies out there now. I mean, I would say even more so in the last year because, because there is no better time. There is no better time than to be setting boundaries, setting expectations, you know, opening up. I mean, this is the first time for, for many of us that, you know, our bosses have seen our kids running around <laughs> behind us in the middle of a Zoom call and for both men and women. 
Yes. You know, male leaders have, I think, more empathy now than they ever have because they're the ones that have also had to be at their kitchen counter, you know, doing Zoom calls with their toddlers running around in the background. So if there's no better time than right now to have those conversations. I agree wholeheartedly. And I just want to, at the beginning of what you said, something popped into my head and I want to say two words and I want you to think about how they feel and, and not you necessarily, Natalie, but the people listening unknown. How does that feel? Because to me, it feels heavy and scary and unsettling possibility. How does that feel? It feels expansive. It feels exciting, maybe a little scary, but not the kind of fear that you get with the unknown. Well, guess what? They're the same thing. Mm -hmm. They are the same thing. When you are in a space where you're feeling like, oh, I'm up against so many unknowns. What if, what if instead you say I'm up against so many possibilities? Yeah. And totally that's, the mind, different. that's the mindset shift, right? In a nutshell. So yes. yeah. No, totally different. I, I love everything you've shared. Speaking of mindset, do you have any last thoughts or mindset shifts or words of wisdom that you can share with my audience before we close out our conversation today? So I'll stick in the same theme that we've been talking about a little bit, and it fits into this sort of like unknown versus possibility. So I am like a professional what ifer, truly. I mean, that's what a lawyer is, right? Um, but that existed in me well before I went to law school. And so I did a lot of, maybe catastrophizing is too strong, but a lot of what ifing growing up. Mm -hmm. And always when I would get into this sort of what if spiral, my mom would say to me, stop borrowing trouble. Mm. It's not here yet. Why are you borrowing trouble? And that has evolved for me from stop borrowing trouble and start borrowing joy. And it's the same thing that we've just been talking about, but it's this idea of like, if we're going to spend the mental energy, what ifing, at a minimum, introduce some positive what ifs. What if it's amazing? What if it's perfect? What if the next thing is even better than the thing I'm about to say no to? What if when I go to my boss and tell him I need boundaries, he says, I've been waiting for you to ask. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That just literally just happened to a client. Um, I was giving a talk to around 50 women. Um, there was a follow-up conversation a couple weeks later for a smaller, in more intimate group. And the talk was around negotiation and persuasion for women. Mm -hmm. And I gave out the stats that 83% of women never negotiate their salary ever in their entire career. Over the lifetime, they leave about five to $700,000 on the table. And that's just pure money. That's not investment. Like if you were yep. to invest it over yep. a lifetime, we're talking a couple million dollars over a lifetime. And one of the women left that conversation over the next two weeks. She said, you know what? I asked myself that question. What if I do ask? She asked and her boss said that same thing. I've been waiting for you to ask. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Here is your raise. Mm -hmm. And she came to the smaller group and shared her experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think so many times bosses are waiting for, for us to ask for promotions. They're waiting for us to ask for raises. They're waiting for us to ask for boundaries for what we need. Because more often than not, they're going to be accommodating. Or they're going to try, right? Because at the end of the day, I'll go back to what I said. The people around you want to give you what you need. Kind of as a default setting. There's very few people walk through life thinking, let me try to deny the people around me what they need to be happy and effective as much as possible. 
<laughs> it's true. Right? It's true. I loved our conversation. I appreciate you being here today to share your thoughts and your wisdom. Um, I will have the link to your book in the show notes. Um, I'm sh- so tell if you can maybe tell people. I'm sure it's where every where books are sold everywhere. Yeah, it's uh, for sure. Um, everywhere online books are sold, and if the easiest thing I can do is just direct people to my website, which is untanglehappiness.com, and all of the information about the book and everything is there. So that's like one stop shopping. Well, great. Becky, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for being here today and sharing with my audience um, how we can all be more happy because I think we all need more of it in our lives. And I can never have to. It's the one thing I think you can never have too much of. So thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.